So we're starting this morning without coffee. We just want to test where our hearts are at. That's really what this is about. We're just checking where the idols are. We, no, I'm just joking. Uh, we will be having coffee afterwards, so please don't stress. Uh, but I know you will be keeping your mind on the preach, not on the coffee. Uh, we're going to focus on what the Lord has for us today. Uh, but it's incredibly exciting to be back. Uh, my family and I were away for what felt like an extended, massively extended time. Um, camping, it was an incredibly great uh, rest for us, um, and we absolutely missed the last three meetings that we really did. Uh, Audrey saw us after one of them and just gave us such great feedback on what the Lord's been doing and how He's been speaking, um, and we were incredibly jealous. Uh, but we are back now, and also just trusting for the Lord to speak to us this morning. Yes? Good, 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 good. And so I did listen to one of Philip's preachers uh, where he rebuked me. Um, and I was, I was upset for a moment until he shifted his gaze onto Matt. And then I was like, you know, my job here is done. Even in my absence, the Lord can work in mysterious ways. Um, but uh, Philip was saying, when last did we hear a preach uh, on the return of Jesus? So I want to let you know that we are preaching this morning on the return of Jesus. Just to show you that I'll submit myself to the wisdom of Philip. Um, and so today we're going to be looking at Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. So let's just commit our time, let's commit ourselves, our hearts to the Lord uh, as we open His Word. And so King Jesus, we are a people who are just desperate to be with our Lord and with our Savior. Uh, we know that you are coming back and we look forward to that day. Uh, but at the same time, we know that you have given us your Holy Spirit and you are with us. You have not left us orphaned. And so God, as we continue to walk on this planet... Uh, we are in need of your counsel, we're in need of your guidance, we're in need of your power. And so as we open up your word today, and which is your power, we ask that you would change us, that you would transform our thinking, Lord, that our passions and our desires uh, would be more for you than it is for coffee. That truly, Lord, you would be the thing that alone satisfies us. We are desperate for that, Lord, and we can't do that, as we will see, by ourselves. We're in need of your spirit, and so we ask you to do that amongst your people, even this morning. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Those who have Bibles or apps, you can turn to Titus 2. Titus 2. Not very often you hear a preach coming from Titus, but it's a Paul, uh, letter written by Paul to Titus, where he's encouraging him and affirming him um, and, and encouraging him toward the faith. And he writes in verse chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety or ungodliness, your Bibles may say, and training us to renounce worldly passions, and in the present age, to live lives that are self-controlled, that are upright, and are godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus appears, everything changes. When Jesus appears in your life, everything changes. What Paul's saying here is that grace has appeared. It has already become manifest in the world. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. And what Paul's referring to here, obviously, is the gospel, right? The grace of Jesus appearing in frail uh, form of a baby, uh, living a sinless life of absolute obedience to the Father, uh, being crucified, uh, suffering, 
uh, but then also being resurrected and ascending to heaven. Also, as he ascends to heaven, sending the gift, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And all of this together, being that grace which we received at the first appearing of Jesus. And it's called grace because we didn't do anything about it, right? God sent Jesus, so it's grace. It's given to us. We couldn't earn it. All we did, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. Bringing salvation to those who receive it. To those who put their trust and their faith in Jesus. And it changes who we are. That grace of Jesus. Putting our trust and our faith in Him changes who we are. No longer sinners, we're now saints. No longer spiritually dead, we're now spiritually alive. Those who were once far off now, brought near to Jesus. By receiving this grace given from God, it changes who we are. It's not earned. Nothing we could do to earn it. But it is received. A gift freely given to all who recognize their sin and recognize the fact that they're massively distanced from God and can do nothing about it. That they have no relationship with God, but by the free gift, putting our trust in Jesus, that distance between us and God is restored. We become new creations in Him. People whose sins have been forgiven. People who were enemies, now friends of God. And so the first appearance of Jesus changes who you are. The moment you put your trust and your faith in Him. When Jesus appears in your life, saints, it changed. That's what happened. All of us looking for something that was missing in our lives, Jesus appears to us all of a sudden. By grace, our lives are changed. When Jesus first appeared, he brought salvation to all, says Paul to Titus. He brought salvation to all who would receive it. But also what happened with that grace is it trains us, in verse 12, to renounce impiety or ungodliness and worldly passions. First, we were saved. But also, it trains us to renounce impiety or ungodliness and worldly passions. The biblical term would be sanctification, a cleansing of who we are. And so by grace, you are now sons of God. You are now made princes and princesses. It's almost being born as a prince or a princess. But now you actually need to learn to be a prince and a princess, right? And so the sanctification now makes us, he teaches us, he trains us to renounce ungodliness, to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. And to become more like Him. It's, it's really the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, right? I will sprinkle clean water upon you. God says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. From coffee, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you. A new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. When Jesus appeared the second time in the form of the Spirit of Christ, Paul talks about the Spirit of God and straight away talks about the Spirit of Christ, saying that those who have the Spirit of God are now children of God and out of, you cannot be a son of God or a daughter of God. But then goes straight on and talks about the Spirit of Christ which is given to us. And so in some ways, it's kind of the second appearance of Jesus on Pentecost as the Holy Spirit was poured out into His people. And with that Spirit, as prophesied by Ezekiel, now our desires and our passions change. Not only are we now no longer sinners but saints, 
Now actually our desires and our passions for worldly things, those begin to change. How difficult is it for you to change a passion or worldly thinking? Have you ever tried? I now need to think differently. It doesn't happen, right? It's, it's, it is impossible. It is only when that new spirit is given to us and that new heart is given to us that actually the things we want begin to change into the things that God wants. And that, Paul says, comes by grace. It's a gift given to those who accept Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. I think of Lyndon and Leslie. Uh, when, when Greg and I first met the Lord, uh, we would be on the phone to Lyndon and Leslie who didn't know the Lord, and they would complain that we were never available to speak to them. I mean, family, you call yourselves family. You're part of some crazy sect that just keeps you busy all the time. Then they met the Lord. And we could never get hold of them. They were just always busy at church, busy with people, just never had time for us. Why? It's because God changed their desires and their passions to no longer desire after the stuff that they were busy with. But now they move to the things that the God desires. His bride, His people, sharing the gospel message, loving on others. And so our desires and our passions change as the Spirit, the grace of the Holy Spirit changes, trains us to renounce ungodliness and these worldly passions. Lyndon and Leslie now love the saints. And God has done that work in their hearts. It's not them mustering up, waking everyone, yes, I need to love the saints. Sometimes, there are times, right? You're like, yes, I really need to love Glenn. I know I do. Matt's thinking this every morning when he wakes up. Just sanctify me, Holy Spirit. Oh, you see, the Lord, the miracles still keep happening, guys. They keep happening. But it's only the Lord that can do that. Because in many ways, we are completely unlovable, right? But the Spirit changes our hearts. He changes the Spirit that's within us. And our passions and our desires begin to change and come in line with God. But he, he continues and says, and also in the present age, so not just our passions, but also in the present age to actually live lives that are self-controlled, that are upright and godly. It's one thing to want the right thing. It's a whole other animal to actually live it, yes? And so I think all the Christians here can echo or resonate with Paul, right? When he says that, um, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Because he says he does the things he doesn't want to do and doesn't do the things he does want to do. And it's like, what's, who's going to save me? And what's his answer? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's going to change, firstly, our passions and our worldly thinking to actually self-controlled lives that actually live it out. Because that really is the hard part of the Christian faith. And so the appearing of the Spirit of Christ empowered and continues to empower God's people to desire what God wants, but then also to live out that life that God wants, like Jesus did, live the life of absolute obedience. And so what does that do? Surely it gets us to look back at Jesus, coming in human form, by grace, giving us His Holy Spirit. Surely we look back in gratitude. Surely. We haven't earned it. Surely that's the point of a gift, right? We look at the gift and remember the person who gave it to us, and we have gratitude for that person. It's not like, yes, I'm a good person. They deserve to give me that gift, actually. No! It's going, I deserve nothing. But God has rescued us by grace at His first appearing. Came in the humble form of us. I mean, you could have chosen anything. It came as us. 
And so we look back at the grace of when he first appeared, and surely it should stir us to gratitude. But Paul then continues and says, while we wait, remember this, but while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace has appeared, but now we wait for the glory to appear. Both grace and glory. We wait for one last appearing of Christ. Are you excited for that day? Or is it kind of falling off your radar as, yeah, guys have spoken about it, I kind of know it's coming. Or do you actually anticipate waiting with eager anticipation for the return of Jesus? It's like Yerusha going off to forsaken Africa and gone the whole time. The family's waiting with anticipation. When's she finished? When's she coming back? And I think that's the idea that Paul's trying to get across is that we're waiting with eager anticipation for the return of the Lord. That one last appearing when he brings to completion that work which he first began in you at his appearance of grace. But now we want the glory, right? To finish this thing. To finally sanctify it. That Matt doesn't have to suck himself up to love me, but that I'll actually be lovable. That God has completed the work. That's what we eagerly anticipate. That this wrestle, this Paul going, who's going to save me from this wretched body will be over. And we can rest in his purified forms as the glory of Jesus breaks into our lives and splits us into a thousand pieces and then puts us all back together, perfect, as he originally intended. When Jesus appears, everything will change for the very last time. It's going to be a huge moment. All the big moments in history have been at the appearing of Jesus. Entering into the world, pouring his Holy Spirit out, and the last one being when he returns. All of history, all of future history is going to be changed. It's going to be a massive, massive moment. In the midst of the lampstands, writes the writer of Revelation, I saw one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining with full force. When that comes, stuff is going to change. It can't just be, oh, look, the Lord appeared. Oh, wow. Things are going to change drastically once and for all. That glorious manifestation must change things. And yet we still get to experience the glorious and the glory of Jesus, even in the present age, right? We have these moments. We have these experiences where heaven interrupts our world. And we look forward to those, yes? But we look forward to them in anticipation for the, the great day when all the glory of heaven breaks into the present age and things will never go back to like they were. We have moments when Jesus breaks in and raises Lazarus from the dead and so we see heaven, the glory of heaven breaking in. But what happens next? All the opponents of Jesus try to kill Lazarus. And he's like, I'm going to die a second time. Like, what's up with that? So if dying once wasn't enough. But it's a momentary breaking of the glory. And so even when God heals us, it's a momentary breaking of glory of heaven. Why? Because we're still going to die. We're still eventually going to die. So how is it 
that we can pray for someone, asking the glory of heaven to come, and then that person still die? Well, essentially, what we're asking is for Jesus to prematurely bring his glory into our present day. That's what we're asking. Because it will come one day. And sometimes when we pray in mercy, he says, actually, I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring my glory. Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so in mercy, because we're asking and pleading with him, he brings his glory into our present day. But at the same time, he still holds all authority to go, actually, no. I desire to lay that person to rest now because they shall see my glory one day. And so we will all get to see his glory, whether he brings a glimpse of it now in this present day or one day. When he wraps up this whole circus show. And he brings that glory once and for all and saves the day. It's nowhere better described than in 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Doesn't that sound awesome? Except when you're on the earth and you start seeing dead people rise, it's probably going to be a little bit awkward for a little section. And then when he brings us up, then it's going to be cool. We're like, okay, cool. We're part of this thing. That's, that's awesome. But the right of Hebrews, and just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting his return. Coming to save his people who are eagerly awaiting his return. And then John. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. That's his desire to come and be with us. And so we experience moments of him being with us, but we look forward to that day when all the glory of heaven will come to break in. And that is our blessed hope. That's what he's referring to as our hope. The glory of Jesus coming. Not just, yes, I hope this life's going to end well. That's not a hope. It's not based in anything. Oh, I really hope all my financial planning pays out at the end before I die. Maybe, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll get stolen by government. Who knows what's going to happen to your finances? But this hope is a sure one. That the glory of Jesus will be coming back. Once and for all. And Paul's saying, in that you need to place your hope. All these other things, good financial planning, healthy families, all these things are good. But we can't put our hope in them. We put our hope in the return of Christ. He's going to fix all this stuff. And through that, yes, we get all these other benefits. But in what do you pin your hope? What does your hope truly pin in? If you actually stop and dismantle all your hope, what really is your hope placed in? Is it something of this planet? Because it's all going to get mute. So it's going to be a little bit awkward when I bring all my wonderful, Lord, look how I led this church, and when I get there, it's just a big pile of ashes in my hand. God's like, that means nothing to you. Because you hope in my son, the full force of the sun coming out of his face to nuke everything in front of him. Only left behind are the things that are done in obedience to him and done that please him. And so some of these things are the businesses that we run, 
We won't present them necessarily before him and then there's nothing to offer. No. When you've run a business in a godly manner, you present that as an offering to the Lord. But it's only done because of the grace found in Jesus when he came the first time, right? The Holy Spirit. So, starting in Christ, ending in Christ, and everything in between done in Christ. Therein lies our hope. And every single day, every single one of us needs to ask, what I'm about to do today, this decision I'm about to make, this conversation I'm about to have, these words I'm about to use, are they done in anticipation for the hope of one day the glory of Jesus coming back? Or are they done in me trying to earn some kind of heaven points with Jesus? And that's what Paul's trying to say to Titus. All our hope must be found and placed in Jesus. And so grace and glory are inseparable. His first appearance, he brought grace. His last appearance, he brings glory. Inseparable. We will not face his glory if we haven't received his grace. And we can't receive his grace if we don't fully understand the glory that's about to come. And so it's Jesus everywhere in between. And that's what he's called his people to. Lives lived pleasing to God. Looking back in gratitude, but looking forward in hope. That's what we are as Christians. Every day, rocking between the two. There's times when life is tough, and we're like, God, where are you? We need to look back and go, you know what? Actually, he came into this world and died for me. And he's done all these things through our lives, and we look back in gratitude. But then there's times when, okay, we can't just be sitting here. We actually need to move forward in hope, looking forward to the day when he returns. Because when he appears, everything changes for the last time. And so the return of Jesus will usher in two very different realities, right? Two very different realities for every single one of us. One with Him eternally and one without Him eternally. It's His last return. And that truth is captured in the book of Malachi where it says, See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogance and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. So that it will leave them neither root nor branch. For you, who revere my name, the son of righteousness shall shine, with healing in its wings, you shall go out leaping like calf in the storm. There is a reality that is coming. And for all of us in these four walls, it's a good reality. You look forward, surely, waiting Jesus. But there's more scripture that says there'll be those who are going to try and hide under rocks. Because the one with the sword coming out of his mouth isn't coming to pat people's backs with that sword. He's coming to cut his enemies into pieces. And for those of us who are broken before him, we're already broken, we're dead. We cannot die again. But there are millions and millions and millions of people we will not expect his return with such favor as we do. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, from Jesus' own mouth, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming? But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, how this one works, I don't know, nor the Son, but only the Father knows. Whereas the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, living in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Just everything carrying on as normal. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, one will be left. Keep awake therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have uh, not let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And so it's a wonderful thing to know that by grace we've been saved. But Jesus goes on to say, but there's still a day coming when people are going to experience an eternity apart from the Father. He then goes on to describe for the next few verses, he talks about the faithful and wise servant versus the wicked and licentious servant. He talks about the five wise bridesmaids and the five foolish bridesmaids. Remember, we don't fill up, haven't got oil for when the groom returns. He then also talks about the slaves being diligent or lazy with their master's talents. He then goes on to speak about those. And then ends off saying, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right hand and the goats on the left. And the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are the members of my family, you did it to me. He then goes on to rebuke the other guys to say the very opposite. So Christ has commissioned us in his manifest absence, and he hasn't yet appeared, to make disciples of all nations. Yes, that's what he's called us to do. And so when he says, when I return, what will my servants be doing? His demand upon us now, his duty upon us now, is to be making disciples in his absence. To be sharing that grace of his first appearance, but then also to be warning about the glory of his last appearance. And making disciples and sheep who will follow him, rather than sitting idly by. So if you miss worship this morning, you know we're not having worship today. So that's very sad for you. Yes? It's very sad. Something for a bit more like, oh, that's horrible. But in many ways, when the servants of God aren't performing the things that God has for us, there's that same sense in heaven, right? It's like, come on, guys, like, come on. So our musers have been serving the heck out of worship for the last good few months, and so it just happened on one weekend that they were all off, so bless them, I hope they're resting really well. But it actually serves to preach pretty well. And that actually without them, there's something missing from the meeting, yes? There should be. It's right that there's something missing. But then that actually applies to all of us in every aspect of every day in the life of this church and in the life that God has for us outside of the church. When we're not walking by the Spirit and not serving Him and not ministering by the gifts that He's given us, there's this sense of, oh, the angels in heaven going, come on, guys. We don't know when the Lord's returning. But get on with it. Go rescue people from an eternity apart from Him. 
And so from a user point, I do hope that some of you are going, well, I'll worship. Please get hold of Adi and Nikki. Let's see that gift come out. Let's see God use that. But for all of us, we're not all users. And I, I joked to Adi, well, it wasn't a joke. It was actually quite serious. I said, don't worry, Adi, this is my child. I'll bring up my guitar, and I'll lead worship. And he just replied back, please don't. It's like two words. Two simple words, but he, a whole paragraph in those. But each of us have our gifts that we need to bear upon this body. And time is short. We don't know how long we have. And even if it's not the actual day of the return of the Lord, the moment we breathe our last breath is technically the return of the Lord for us. Because likely the next thing we're going to recognize and witness is His return. It's all murky exactly what happens, but nonetheless. And so, for some of us, the return of the Lord may technically be today. And I don't want to use it as fear-mongering. I want to use it as, is the Lord going to find faith in this earth when He returns? It's the question he asked. Will he find you and be busy with the things between his grace arriving and his glory arriving? Is he going to find us busy rescuing as many people as we can? Seeing one another grow in love for God. Seeing one another grow in love for people. Or we're just going to meander and just be like, well, it's waiting for the Lord to return. It's not going to be great if we're not busy with the things he's asked us to be busy with. And I know this church is busy with the things of God. So it's not a rebuke in any form. But it is kind of a reminder to us, right? As the year comes ahead of us, is God going to find us busy with the things He has for us? And in every aspect of our lives, we're going to have to change our entire lives. Playing golf, Luke, it's an opportunity to minister for the Lord. You don't have to change your golfing, unless you need to make it better, and that's fine. You don't have to just change your job in order to become a minister of a church in order to serve the Lord. That's not what God wants. He's got enough guys. But the marketplace is where most people need to hear the gospel, right? I mean, I get to preach mostly to save people. To get a response is not as easy. Anyone want to be saved? can happen. But you have an opportunity. Your work desk is your pulpit. It is. You have an opportunity to impact people who otherwise are going to spend an eternity apart from God. I don't have access into their lives. You do. God's called you into that mission field, wherever that is. Is He going to find you busy with the stuff that He's called you to? And it's exciting. You don't have to do it by yourself. He's giving you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it by yourself. He's giving you other believers to come alongside you. I think there's great wisdom in Him sending out the disciples in twos. That you can encourage one another, you can be with one another, you can pray for one another, you can minister together. Will the Lord find you doing the work He has prepared for you to do? Or will He find you in me neglecting our duties when He returns? There's not good consequences for that. I want to be found busy doing the things that God has for me. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? He asks. Will he find you looking back, trusting in his grace, grateful for his grace, but looking forward in hope to his glory, which will one day return, and trusting his current presence by his Holy Spirit working within you now? The answer to that question of whether you, he will find faith on this earth is bound up in your decision to follow him. It's bound up in your decision to actually wake up every morning and go, Jesus, this day is yours. My legs are yours. My hands are yours. My mouth is yours use me today. I can't do that. I'm not waking up next to you in bed, that would just be awkward. 
The Spirit is with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. All the rest of this year, that you committed to saying, God, you may return this year, you may not. And I think many people are going, Lord, please return this year. Just wrap this dog show up. But if he doesn't, when he does, will he find you busy with what he has for you? And you may be new to liberty. I want to encourage you to knuckle down and find a space to minister in. You don't have to be here for 20 years before you find something to do. We're not that kind of church. We want to see you ministering in the power and the gift the Holy Spirit's given you. If you're here, you're here for a reason. He's gifted, he's brought a gift that we're clearly lacking, and he's probably singing because I can't. So what has God placed in you? What are you bringing to this community? What are you going to grow? What gifts are you going to bring to bear? Both on this community, but also to the community outside. I don't have an answer to that. We need to have conversations. We need to seek the Lord. We need to position you to minister on behalf of God. I'm coming soon, he says. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still be right, and the holy still be holy. See, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's word. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendants of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say come, and let everyone who hears say come, and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus already brought by him onto this planet. Be with all the saints. Amen. I'm trusting for a year where the return of Jesus is so real to us that it actually impacts what I do right now. It's not just this long distance thing that's, well, he's coming sometime, then just carry on, I'll, I'll fix my life up someday. No, 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 no. You don't know when that is. Let's be a people found faithful. Yes, let's encourage one another to be faithful. When we're tired to pick one another up. When we're misaligned to help one another be aligned to the things of God. The amazing thing about communion, which is one of the two ordinances that God has given us, right? Baptism and communion. For many of us, it's juice, we drink it, bread, we eat it. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. What does that mean? You remember the grace which he brought. Until when? Until he comes. What we do every time, which is so dear to Jesus for us to remember, is the grace that he brought through his death and the glory which he will bring at his return. And he's saying the motivation for us to live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called is to remember every single time that we take this, that he's died for us and he's given us the grace that he's coming back. 
That's the life of the Christian. It's simple. To remember that he came and he's coming again. And that is supposed to inspire us. That is supposed to motivate us. That is supposed to empower us to live lives that are pleasing to God. So why don't we take the juice and the wafer? Does everybody have one? If you don't have, please stick your hand up. You've already got some of them are all a little bit tricky you may end up with great juice all over your shirt don't worry you won't be the first and you won't be the last <laughs> so as often as you eat this Jesus we proclaim your death we're eating this, remembering the grace which you brought through your death. Nor as we drink this cup, we proclaim your death until your return. We look forward to your glory. So, the saints of old would expect their meetings to be interrupted, either by the police to lock them away, or by the Holy Spirit in the meeting, or by the return of Jesus. Every time they gathered, they expected to be interrupted. And I would love for our year ahead, every time we gather as saints, to expect the same thing. Hopefully not the police would come and arrest us, but you never know, depends where you are. But that the Holy Spirit would interrupt our meetings. But then also that we would honestly do all that we do in anticipation for, you know what, Jesus may actually return. He actually might. And what that does is that if there's an opportunity for you to minister, that you'd actually get on and do it. And so Carla just shared something with me from this last week this last week and would love to share it with you and hopefully it will encourage you to just take hold of the encouragement of God that he actually has something for all of us to do. Hello everyone. Um, so the youth group at my school, every year we plan a picnic for the Great Apes, the newcomers at our school. And as part of the leaders of the youth group, I, um, I was there last week Friday, it was the picnic. I was there helping out, um, speaking to the great eggs, like you know, getting to know them. And the Lord laid it upon my heart to share the gospel with them. And there were about 100 great eggs there. So the Holy Spirit spoke through me and I shared the gospel. And then I did an altar call asking those who want to give the heart to the Lord to come forth. And when I, when I asked them to come forth for like a few seconds, it was silent. And I thought, oh no, I've blown it. Nothing's happening. But then one guy came forth, and then almost everyone came forth, and I asked those who want to recommit to the Lord to come forth. And all 100 of those learners came forth. And they prayed the sinner's prayer, and it was just supernatural. Those children lived there, changed. They were new people. And it's just such a, such a testimony that the Lord is still working. He's still alive. God's not dead. He's still working in the hearts of children, 
And I believe that the, the revival is coming at the school and I ask that we all pray for it. And I thank everyone that prayed for Friday. It, the Lord did our prayer and the children, it was amazing. Yeah. So we all have an opportunity to make ourselves available to the Lord. And um, I, I hope that we leave this morning feeling like there wasn't worship and it's like something was missing. I want that feeling to stick for the rest of the day. I really do. Because when there's opportunities for us to minister, when we don't, everyone else walks away with that feeling like something was missing. It's a real thing. And so what I do want to end with is if you, if you those who do have their Bibles to turn back to Titus 2. 11 to 13, turn around, find a group of three, four, five people, whatever you like, and just pray those verses over one another. Make sense? As you read them, you just want that truth of that gospel message and the hope of the glory we have in Jesus for the future. We want to pray that into one another's lives. So let's do that for the next five minutes.